Dr. Jones, thank you for your Facebook message. Here's your podcast. Have you ever been thinking of someone just randomly and then out of the blue, either later on that same day or a couple of days later, boom, they just kind of show up or they send you that random text or you find them at your office or on the street or a coffee shop and you're like, oh, that's so weird. I was just thinking about you the other day. Well, that happens to me all the time. I think there's something out there with that. There's an old book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I love that book. It's one of the best self-help, kind of self-development books that I've read. Uh, and it was a whole basis of my Memento Mori uh, talk that we did for TEDx. I find value in that. Well, in that book, Napoleon Hill talks about putting things out into the ether, right? In other words, somehow, uh, if you think it uh, and you work towards it, you keep your mind on it, then somehow that thing can materialize with your efforts. The idea is keep that thought in mind. Well, that's great, but what happens when our thoughts escape us? <laughs> when we get amnesia or during pregnancy, something called momnesia. Trust me, I'm onto something here. I'm not out on a tangent. You see, in October 2022, I had put together this whole script on mommy brain, aka momnesia, because one of our residents at that time asked me about this and asked to do an episode. She's like, Dr. Choppa, look, I'm still functional. I've got my things together, but sometimes I'll walk into a room and I'll like totally forget what's out there. Uh, and so I said, you know, you've got to really, you know, put your mind to it. Don't forget, put your, your things on the list uh, because momnesia is real. And that started this discussion of, well, is it real or is it not real? What does the data show? Remember, this was October 2022. Well, no joke, guys. Just like Napoleon Hill said, literally last week, a week from today, I'm taping this on a Thursday. Last Thursday, I thought, you know, I never did that momnesia article. That's kind of interesting. I should do that as an episode. Well, today, Thursday morning, I received a Facebook message through our, our, our Facebook page about somebody asking about this very thing. Hey, Dr. Chop, I'm trying to put something together about mommy brain, momnesia. What do you think about that? What? No joke. How random is that? I just thought about this just the other week, and it's been kind of mulling around in my brain. And now one of our podcast family members asks about that. You see? Napoleon Hill was right. <laughs> if you put something out there and, and you put it out into the ether, as Napoleon Hill said, somehow it will connect. Look, I know that sounds hokey. I'm not all new agey. I promise you, I'm very mainstream traditional. I'm a scientific guy, but there's stuff we can't explain. All to say, I now have the urging <laughs> to do this thing for amnesia slash momnesia, uh, your brain on pregnancies. So that's what we're covering in this episode. We're going to get to it because I know that this thing happens. But what does the data show? It's super interesting. So let's get to momnesia, your brain on pregnancy right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Man, that it really is a good book. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I mean, it's been around for a long time. I think it was first done like in the 50s and there's several editions. Just as disclosure, I don't get anything for plugging that book. It's not like I'm plugging it, but I have read it and it helps me in some dark times. The whole idea is to kind of get your thoughts in line because we're all by nature pessimistic, right? That's called a negativity bias. Um, and as I mentioned when we did that TEDx, uh, think about it, right? You get a, a, a text from your spouse, hey, when 
need to talk when you get home, the first thing that you think is, is, oh, hell, what did I do? Uh, At least I do. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) But if you're honest, you always think the worst, right? In general, I know that there's some super optimists out there. Good for you. Teach us how to do it. But in general, we have this negativity bias. Um, But that's about getting our thoughts to kind of to point in the direction that we want to go. But this issue of momnesia, of forgetting things when you're pregnant, uh, can be very frustrating for patients. I get that. It's super frustrating when it happens to me, and I've never had to deal with it with being pregnant at the same time. So think about this. What about you? I mean, have you ever walked into a room, stopped there for a second, and then stood there because you totally forgot why you went in there? I just did that yesterday. (laughs) And what about forgetting some usual or everyday facts like where you put your car keys? I mean, the truth is these small lapses in memory and focus happen to us all. However, this brain fog really does seem to be more prevalent, at least anecdotally, during pregnancy. This is also called the pregnancy brain or momnesia or mommy fog. And although it is something that a few find endearing and cute, it really can be a real point of frustration and anxiety for our patients. So again, is this a real occurrence uh, or is this just some kind of cultural expectation? Because that is what one researcher said. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Now, all to say, there are three main categories here where people have tried to find the answer. Physical changes to the brain, and I'm going to lay that out in this episode. Let me just give you a cautionary note. Things that you find on on spatial MRI and PET scans during pregnancy of the brain are a little freaky, okay? Because let me just set the stage, and let me just say it right now as a a movie spoiler, all right? Uh, Yes, there are physical changes to the brain yikes, but hold on, calm down, because the brain is very plastic, right? There's neuroplasticity, uh, so it's okay, but I'm going to explain what that means. So the first most obvious thing is the brain is physically changing, and that is true. We just don't know if those physical changes are actually causing the mommy fat fog or not. So yes, there are true physical brain changes. The second has to do with hormonal changes. It could be a high progestin flare uh, because that affects, obviously, a neurotransmission. So the second thought process behind this is that whether it's physical or not, there's definitely a hormonal influence. That's the second theory. The third theory is that it's either A or B or maybe even C, which is nutritional. So people have looked at dietary issues like maternal DHA levels and folate and choline. I've got a podcast episode on choline supplementation. We all know that that's super important for fetal brain development. Uh, but what about mom's memory? The problem is those d- studies are, are very heterogeneous and they've got a lot of conflicting co-founders. But in general, those are the three boxes, okay? So we have physical changes as a possibility causing this um, mommy fog. The second is hormonal. And the third is nutritional slash uh, dietary deficiencies. Those are the big things. We're going to address the first two because that's where most of the data lies, right? Physical changes to the brain. And then the hormonal changes that uh, are likely the culprits in this. And I'm going to tell you why I say culprits, uh, because there's data that has actually shown that estrogen and progesterone in high levels can actually change animal model uh, brain structure. And we're going to explain that in a minute. So we're trying to get to the bottom of momnesia. Is it real or not? So let's answer and look into that question next. (music) 
Before we go into the data and look at the true physical changes of the brain that happen during pregnancy, because there are some physical changes, all right? It's kind of whack. It kind of freaks you out when you hear it, but it's okay, all right? There's, there's a good news uh, after we cover that, and I'm going to tell you what that good news is. Uh, so the question is, is this a real issue? Well, the truth is it depends on which researcher you believe. Now, although pregnancy brain isn't an official medical condition, it's a catch-all term for some symptoms that affect many, if not most, pregnant women. And it's not just during pregnancy, because this has been reported to last up to the first two to four weeks postpartum as well. You see, one of the issues of tracking this thing postpartum is that then you get sleep deprivation. I mean, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're getting it multiple times during the night. Well, that affects memory in and of itself. So you see how this is very conflicting. It has a lot of confounders that are hard to separate uh, when you look at this, especially in the postpartum interval. Nonetheless, if you take a look at standardized questionnaires and patient surveys that have been done, anywhere from 50 to 80% of women say that they suffer from some kind of memory loss or memory gap during pregnancy in the immediate postpartum interval. Of course, as we just said, it's hard to validate these things because these are usually self-reported. I want to present both sides of this debate, all right? Because that's really what we're here about is we just present it and then you go on and interpret it, especially when things are kind of gray in the literature, okay? You know us, you know our style when there's something that's uh, black and white, straight down the middle. I mean, we know where it is. I'm going to tell you where that is. But right here, it is a little gray. Now, what's not gray are the physical changes of the brain during pregnancy. I mean, we can look at that. You can get a functional MRI. You can get something called um, a, a Volyek scan. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Uh, you can take a look at the brain physically and go, ooh, that wasn't there before. We, we know that. What we don't know is that if that's causing the mommy brain, the memory gaps or not. Because some of those aren't actually in memory-containing processing centers of the brain anyway. So it could be just a quinky dink, just something that you find by chance. So we don't know that. But we're going to get into the pro, the yes, it possibly could uh, in a minute. But let's start off with the naysayers, okay? Those that say, no, possibly not. And one of the best ways that this was looked at, one of the best ways that this was established as no, probably not, was by Dr. Ross Crawley, all right? That's C-R-A-W-L-E-Y, Dr. Ross Crawley. Dr. Crawley led a team of researchers from Sunderland University in 2003. Don't go looking for that in the U.S. map because the University of Sunderland is not here. It's in Sunderland, England. So it's in the U.K. After doing her evaluation, Dr. Crawley stated, quote, This seems to be a suggestion that negative mood swings can be causing the apparent problem or that the reason could be cultural expectations of impairment, which make women more aware of forgetting things and attributing such mistakes to their pregnancy. Now, that's a direct quote. So I had to say it. Yes, that's a woman. It's not a man. Because I know the first thing you're going to say is, well, of course he said that. No, no. This is a female researcher. She's a clinical psychologist. So I just wanted to get that out there just in case somebody thought it was some kind of bias going on. This is a female. And more importantly, there's data that she used to back up that statement. All right. Because as you can guess, they didn't find any real appreciable differences here to confirm mommy brain. This is just on the naysayer side. We'll talk about the possible pro side in just a minute. But I just wanted to get that out there that she did not find any real differences. And let's get into her data now. Dr. Crowley published this data in 2003 in Psychology and Psychotherapy. In her first study, Crawley tested 15 pregnant women and 14 non-pregnant women for their ability to remember words. So this was verbal memory. 
She also tested all the women on their focus attention, that is, her ability to concentrate on one thing while something else is going on, like reading while the TV is on or with music playing. All right, so that's with one distraction doing one test with one distraction going on. She also tested their ability to do two things at once. So multitasking, if you will, but just two things at once. So dual tasking, I guess. This was called divided attention, all right? So this is like listening to the radio while cooking uh, or something like that. And she found no significant differences in their functioning. And now remember, these are two groups, pregnant and non-pregnant. Now, let's just say the obvious here, okay, that these are super small numbers. I mean, 15 in the pregnant cohort, 14 in the non-pregnant. I get that super small. But here's the advantage and the beauty of this study is that these patients were checked at four different points in the second trimester, third trimester, six weeks postpartum, and then one year postpartum. So this is a nice caveat to this, that even though it's small numbers, it did span not just the second, third, and six weeks postpartum, but even up to the first year after delivery. But the results really are surprising. The two groups of women did not differ in performance on the objective test, and there was no change in performance over time except for mild improvements in the measures of focused attention from the first to the final testing session. However, listen to this. This is why Dr. Crowley said this is more possibly of a perceived thing. This is more of an anticipated reaction uh, that they're fulfilling. In other words, they're conforming to an expected social norm. I'm supposed to have mommy brain. And here's why she concluded that. Because on self-assessment ratings, so then the participants said, well, how did you do? Here's where things fell out. Because in the second trimester, the pregnant women rated themselves as more impaired than before compared with the non-pregnant woman for all three cognitive abilities. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's where it gets even more interesting because this study was actually in two parts. That was the first part. The second part was done to make sure that this wasn't a fluke finding and somehow wasn't influenced by the retrospective nature of how they collected data. So she took two other sets of cohorts, 25 pregnant and 10 non-pregnant, and used daily ratings over a period of one week on four occasions during pregnancy and up to the first year postpartum. All right, so she was already done with the 15 pregnant and the 14 non-pregnant and said, that's interesting, let's do it again, was 25 pregnant and then 10 non-pregnant doing another memory task all the way up until the first year postpartum. And as you would guess, it was almost identical findings to the first two cohorts, the one with the 15 pregnant and then 14 non-pregnant individuals. Women in the third trimester pregnancy reported mild impairments in their own self-assessment, although they didn't have any real deficits on objective testing. Now, before you get mad at me and send me the Facebook messages that, well, that's not true. That's a real thing. Hey, I'm with you. I'm on the pro camp. I think there's something going on. I'm just trying to be fair and balanced here and giving you the rebuttal side. And let me read you directly from her abstract and from her manuscript, okay? Quote, the results show that there are perceived cognitive impairments during pregnancy. Did y'all catch that? Perceived. She goes on to say, it is suggested by these results that these may be the result of mild impairments, which are actually not revealed in objective testing because they can be overcome by conscious effort in short periods of testing. Alternatively, the perceptions may not be based on actual impairments, but may result from depressed mood or expectations concerning the effect of pregnancy on cognition, end quote. 
All to say, despite the small numbers in each cohort, the fact that it was longitudinal and that fact that it had self-assessment of the participants was really helpful. So again, based on this single researcher and based on this published data, yeah, it's maybe something like fulfilled expectations. Remember that? It's like think and grow rich. If you think you're going to get distracted and have mommy brain, you may get it. It's fulfilling an expectation. Not my thoughts, not my words. <laughs> That's just out of this researcher. Yes, that is interesting, and Crawley's paper did not show any objective differences in memory. They were subjective. But the other truth is, is that research studying actual memory defects in pregnant women has been super mixed, with some studies that we just covered showing no differences on standardized memory tests, while others have found small gaps in memory. Reviews of multiple studies have concluded that there possibly could be, see those are the key words, possibly could be, some real differences in memory during and shortly after pregnancy, but the true mechanisms at work here are not completely understood. I told you we would give you the fair and balanced report on this. So now let me give you the data that actually did show that there could be some real objective memory gaps going on during pregnancy. So the complete opposite of what Crawley found. One large scientific review was published in 2018 in the Medical Journal of Australia. The title of this publication is Cognitive Impairments During Pregnancy, a Meta-Analysis. The first author is Sasha Davies. These researchers took 20 previously published studies that had reported in some quantifiable way the relationship between pregnancy and changes in cognition, and then they reanalyzed the data in a form of a meta-analysis. The 20 studies assessed included 709 pregnant women and 521 non-pregnant women. They found that overall cognitive functioning was poorer in pregnant women than in the non-pregnant cohort. They concluded, quote, general cognitive functioning, memory, and executive functioning were significantly poorer in pregnant than in control women, particularly during the third trimester, although differences can develop during the first, end quote. And just to confuse the picture even more, others have published improved memory during pregnancy. Yep, how about that? The totally opposite direction. That was published in 2007 in the Journal of Reproductive and Infant Psychology, and the title of that publication was Pregnancy May Confer a Selective Cognitive Advantage. The authors were Christensen, Poiser, and Cubis. I told you, things were conflicting. Some studies show memory impairment, some show no difference at all, and then others show an improvement in memory. So the truth lies somewhere in all of those studies. So what does the data show regarding subjective and objective memory tasks? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's all over the place because one of the things that is hard to stratify for and to account for is the patient's baseline memory. I mean, if you're forgetful to begin with, uh, you're probably going to be forgetful during pregnancy because the truth is most people kind of stay the even keel, go right down the middle without any great or vast changes. So once again, the data is all over the place regarding memory tasks with some showing impairment, some showing no change, and then some showing improvement in memory and cognition. Next, let's cover the true physical changes of the brain during pregnancy and the postpartum interval. The study of the woman's brain and its changes during pregnancy can go back to the first half of the 20th century. 
Recent MRI studies have indicated that the human brain does undergo dramatic changes during pregnancy and the postpartum period. Neurological studies have confirmed that pregnancy leads to some changes in the brain's gray matter. Widespread change in cognitive tasks and mood suggests that multiple areas of the brain may be altered during pregnancy. A published study in 2016 confirmed that pregnancy renders substantial changes in brain structure, primarily reductions in gray matter volume in regions responsible for social cognition. How about that? Now, as scary as that may sound, I mean, who wants reduced brain matter, right? But as scary and as odd as that sounds, the gray matter volume changes of pregnancy predicted measures of postpartum maternal attachment. Weird or what? So some evolutionary biologists have added to this discussion saying that's to make pregnancy or women in pregnancy kind of avoid some unknown contacts to keep them safe and then it actually helps with maternal bonding. There's no data for that but that's what the evolutionary biologists have added to this discussion. So even though hearing there could be a reduction in gray matter, it seems to be a good thing. In other words, there is suggested evidence that those physical brain changes, according to this publication, may play an adaptive process serving the transition into motherhood and postpartum bonding. All right, so at least that's the good side of having some altered or reduced volume of gray matter. That 2016 article can be found in Nature Neuroscience, and the title is Pregnancy Leads to Long-Lasting Changes in Human Brain Structure, and the first author on that is Elseline Huxema. Now, you can objectively see these brain changes, all right? That's on MRI scan. But what's unclear is if that actually contributes to the momnesia, the brain fog, or not. Or is that something completely different? So, again, those are two different things. Yes, there are true physical changes in the brain. I'm going to go over some more uh, data here in just a minute about that. But but how that actually impacts cognition is another issue that's not clear clearly understood. But even though these exact etiology, but even though the exact etiology of these changes are not clearly understood, we know that there's two likely culprits, all right, and that's estrogen and progesterone. Listen to this. Some of these structural brain changes are able to be replicated in virgin female rodents after a hormonal treatment that mimics pregnancy based on exogenous steroid hormone administration. Yep. Giving pregnancy-level hormones to little virgin female rodents causes the same brain structure changes that's found in the human pregnant patient. So again, this is reproducible, and estrogen and progesterone have some role in this event. What's even more interesting is what happens to the brain postpartum. Unlike the reduction in gray matter that happens throughout pregnancy, researchers have found that there is an increase in gray matter when postpartum. So everybody take a big deep breath, relax, it comes back. So that's the good news. In 2010, authors published results confirming that from two to four weeks postpartum to three to four months postpartum, patients showed increases in gray matter volume in sections of the parietal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, and the midbrain. This was published in the journal Behavioral Neuroscience, and the title is The Plasticity of Human Maternal Brain, Longitudinal Changes in Brain Anatomy During the Early Postpartum Period. 
All right, so we know that there definitely is some hormonal effect here, some hormonal influence from estrogen and progesterone, because those little virgin rodents confirm that. We know that there's physical changes of the brain during pregnancy. You can measure that. There's functional MRI scans, PET scans. You can do something called uh, volumetric MRIs, which is a special kind of of MRI called SBM or uh, VBM, and we're not getting into that. All to say they all confirm these same findings, all right? But are those physical changes of the brain the cause of mommy brain? just don't know. And also, even though it's pretty scary to hear, man, you lose gray matter in your brain during pregnancy, remember that the brain has neuroplasticity. So what is lost in one area can be built up in another. We know that the the brain is neuroplastic. So it's unclear what that actually means. But what's not debatable is, yes, there are true physical changes of the brain during pregnancy in the postpartum interval. We just don't know if that's responsible for any real handicap. We're not sure. Sure. Now, as we get ready to wrap this up, let's talk about some other potential external influences, which are environmental and social, that could also be contributing to mommy brain. Despite those slightly frightening brain changes that MRI shows that happen during pregnancy and postpartum, other experts in women's health point away from those possible causes for mommy brain and point to more practical factors. These external environmental and social influences can also lead to mommy brain or momnesia. The three most likely are altered sleep during pregnancy. I mean, many pregnant women acknowledge that difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep due to pregnancy uh, causes altered brain function, makes you sluggish. We get that. Another possible cause is anxiety or preoccupation about the upcoming delivery. Now, this may be either conscious or subconscious, but anxiety and worry can affect anyone's memory and concentration. The third possibility, as we mentioned in the intro, is the possible link with nutritional factors. Some have suggested that a lack in antioxidants or omega-3 or choline could also contribute to mommy brain fog. As we get to the end of the episode, regardless of whether the true cause of pregnancy brain is physical or hormonal or social environmental, there are some things that we can tell our patients to adapt and to cope during pregnancy and during the postpartum interval and deal with mommy brain or pregnancy fog or momnesia or whatever you're calling it. Here's what experts in the field in both maternal health and behavioral health advise to help combat mommy brain. The first and the most logical is to get rest because exhaustion obviously affects our ability to concentrate, and that's for anybody, pregnant or not. The second is to stay nutritionally healthy. This can include supplementing with things like DHA and choline, vitamin C and vitamin D. Even though the data is not great on that, it really can't hurt, and it's great for the baby's development anyway. The third recommendation is to make lists so that the patient can remember and less likely to forget. Now, of course, we've got digital and electronic lists on our phones, so that's a great way to keep us all on track. The fourth recommendation is to get up and get moving. Increased blood flow to the brain with exercise is obviously helpful, and it helps with oxygenation of the body overall. And then the last thing is to train the brain. Yep, there are plenty of brain games out there, whether it's wordly. I get those things all the time by people. I don't even know what they're playing. I don't get it. I don't like puzzles. Stop sending it to me. But anyway, nonetheless, what was I talking about? See, I forgot. Oh, train your brain. 
<laughs> There's plenty of neuroplasticity games out there that actually do have data that boosts memory and cognition. Well, all to say, those are quick five tips that we should all use to help our memory, our focus, and to help us stay on track. All right, podcast family, mommy brain, is it real or is it a myth? Well, that depends on who you ask. For those of you who have been pregnant and have felt the impact of mommy fog, brain fog, pregnancy brain, momnesia, whatever you call it, you swear that it's real and some of that data agrees with you. Others disagree and others say your memory should get better. Go figure. What's not debatable is pregnancy does have some true physical changes to your brain. But relax, it's okay. They seem to be temporary and they seem to get better in the postpartum interval. But even though those brain physical changes occur, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suffer any adverse sequelae from it. Remember, pregnancy is a normal finding and some things that happen to the body are adaptive and happen for a reason. We just don't know what those reasons are just yet. So as always, we're thankful for you and we've hoped you enjoyed this episode. We're glad you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.